y'all. How are you doing today? And welcome. This is episode three of the Won't Shut Up and Skate podcast. I'm here with Carjack. My name's Chip Queso. Good morning. And, uh, you know, three is a magic number. Kind of the, like the De La Soul song, you know, after all those years, they finally released all the De La Soul music yeah, recently. So they just got here. all the rights back. And three is a magic number. So episode three for us here, sitting at Carjack's luxurious home in the Lakeway area. I would have just called it the scenic Texas Hill Country. Scenic Texas Hill Country. So again, welcome. We are uh, just getting this going again. We've had, of course, hopefully you've heard episode zero and episode one. Uh, then episode two, which would have been Jimmy Gonzalez. Which, which hasn't was, actually dropped yet. Has but. not dropped yet by the time we're recording this. So somebody mentioned the other day that you're talking about, oh, I love you guys are doing this in real time. And I mean, yeah, I guess we're doing it in real time and if you said many times not necessarily linear but uh we are trying to stack episodes so that we're ahead of ourselves and not having to play catch up well real time's a weird thing to talk about when we're talking about stuff that happened 40 odd years ago <laughs> which by the way in episode two you mentioned about we talked about the uh uh curb bash and how uh that contest was going to go we recorded before it happened and how that, awesome it was i called that pretty correctly didn't yeah, i yeah cat said man carjack nailed it it was a great event there was almost a thousand people there and there was just ripping to be had and it's always a safe bet to bet on gavin Bet on Gavin. So here in episode three in the Won't Shut Up and Skate podcast, thank you to always for Jeff Newton for the inspiration for Won't Shut Up and Skate. And thank you to the big boys for our intro and outro music. I was thinking about it, Carjack, and as we've gone through these first couple of episodes and gone back and listened to them, the last episode that was live was episode two we talked about up to 81 and we didn't even get close <laughs> we tried <laughs> we tried and what we're figuring what we're figuring out is that as we go through this and as much as we didn't know holy shit there is a lot of stuff coming in as as much as even the last couple of days that we've not seen before or that we weren't aware of that other people were aware of but we couldn't really get it out in the open until we started flapping our gums yeah, well, it's there's a lot out there and uh, more than we even anticipated, but we kind of knew it was there. And man, when you start uh, cleaning the dust off of that thing, the, wow, there's a lot more than you thought there was. I think I called that in the episode zero, zero a deep dive. 14,000 times I said it. And then in episode one, I said, shout out a bunch, which I'll say again, shout out. Anyway, uh, so yeah, so what is really cool is, you know, we are now recording our third episode. We are a few weeks into even trying this venture. And man, I tell you what, they've been crawling out from under the rocks and the rugs. We've been getting comments posted, um, all kinds of acclaim. We're super stoked, super happy to bring this to you. And people, it seems, are getting some energized because uh, on Facebook, I started a Won't Show Up and Skate Texas Archives photo page. You liked it so much, you did it twice. I did it twice. I did it with my personal, and then I realized, oh shit, I shouldn't do the group off my personal because it's really about Won't Show Up and Skate. So then I did that. Confused a bunch of old people, which happens, and we're old. And uh, But it's blown up. It's almost become, almost, not quite as... Um, uh, curated as the past participle, as we mentioned with his uh, glossary with Carjack compendium 
of photos and what he's been doing over there, Chris Battle, at um, the past participle, but it is a Texas version. There are now a bunch of albums and a bunch of photos of a lot of places that I haven't seen in years, and it's the shoebox photos that we've been talking about. Yeah, yeah. I, that's what we wanted to see, and it's starting to come together. Starting to come together and out of the woodwork. I even got a message from somebody the other day that posted a bunch of stuff and said, Stuart Singer has stacks of stuff. We need to get a hold of him. So hopefully by this time, somebody will have mentioned it, and maybe we'll get a hold of him because his name's going to be brought up in some of the early days. But uh, basically, um, we're going to go through, we're still in the 70s. Uh, again, as Carjacks mentioned, we're going to try to go linear at the beginning just to kind of create the history and the basis. We're going to skip around as we go through this, but we are still kind of venturing and finding new information about the 70s before 1980, the second death of skateboarding, and before Real Skateboard Magazine actually started in 81. Correct. Which is Thrasher. Because uh, Transworld didn't start till 83. Um, so I kind of was thinking about it and, you know, appropriate, maybe not appropriate. Our podcast is kind of like that drink. I think it's called a long, slow, comfortable screw against the wall. <laughs> Meaning. The hell are you talking <laughs> about? <laughs> exactly. Alcohol. Which, by the way, that drink is made of uh, vodka, slow gin, southern comfort, uh orange juice and a little Guyano, which is that herbal schnapps in that really tall bottle if you were trying to make drinks. But my point is... I've never even heard of that drink. Uh, long, slow, comfortable screw against the wall. So the point is, is that's what this podcast is. We're not going to as an you. alcoholic? Yeah, probably. Uh, we're not... Uh, basically, my weird roundabout analogy is that we're going to take our time. We're going to be on small chunks and we're going to go through this podcast and try to go through the history and we're going to have to sometimes back up and reset something or correct something, which I've definitely got some corrections to talk about today. But that was just my weird way of bringing out the alcoholics in the uh, skateboard world, which we're not promoting, but, you know. It was uh screw that. I'm not an that. alcoholic. I'm a drunk. <laughs> Alcoholics are quitters. <laughs> so in episode one, we also realized that we did a lot of fluff and we're getting uh, used to this. Again, this is a venture for us, Carjack. We, as we've mentioned, we've got real jobs. We're trying to squeeze this in between and uh, we're finding that it's taking a lot of time, but we're pretty stoked about it. Yeah. It's been uh, illuminating so far. We, I've, I've been really blown away at how many people are coming out of the woodwork on this one and uh, just how much stuff we've been bombed with over the last two weeks. Um, it's, it's pretty rad. Right. And, you know, part of that has been a few really nice messages of, man, you guys are doing great. I can't believe you're doing this, et cetera, et cetera. And, and it sounds great. And hopefully we're doing justice and we'll get better at it. And then there's the old, hey, man, I was here, there, there, and the other there. And, man, you need to talk to me. When can you schedule me? And we've had a couple of people that have like, and, yeah, you know, this podcast is not going to be like all the other skateboard podcasts out there. And there's a lot of good ones. Talking Schmidt and the Nine Club and Jim Gray's. Uh, so we're going to differentiate by different. not being good? Yeah, maybe not being good. No, but the point is, is we're going to highlight primarily Texas, as you know, the influence on it and all the skaters that will never be on any of those other podcasts because as far as our Texas culture is concerned, they're super important and there is a lot of them. So that's going to be part of it. Um, and uh, cute little, not cute story. I got a message from John Gibson that was a little archaic yesterday. And he's like, Hey, Jeff, i in town, Austin tomorrow and be ready to roll. That would be Jeff. I the I bass meant. player from 
Pearl Jam? Pearl Jam. Who's pretty He's heavily in town. invested? Oh, Pearl Jam's playing soon. Monday, Monday, I think. And they okay. played in Dallas because Johnny has already flew up to Dallas and was hanging with Craig uh, with their badges and the whole backstage-ness, et cetera, and right up front when she posted some footage and all that. So check hey, out his you Instagram. You get a pro model on Zorlak, <laughs> you are a legit rock star status. Yeah, no shit. And we all know that he does a lot of stuff for skateboarding up in the Northeast, right? I think it's up in, yeah, where he's from. Jeff? Jeff Amit, yeah. That would be the Northwest. West, excuse me, not Montana. East-West. Montana. Montana Pool Service. Yeah, he yeah. started that nonprofit. It was like his own version of the Tony Hawk Foundation to get skate parks built in underserved communities in, in Montana especially, which there's a ton because there's no big cities in Montana. And so, you know, where he grew up, there was barely anything to skate. And he, once he got money and got famous with Pearl Jam, he wanted to do something to give back to the skateboarding community that kind of helped make him the person that he was. And it's, it's mind blowing. I don't know if you've ever been up to Montana just to go on like a skate trip, but Montana is one of the best skate destinations in the whole world these days, largely because of what Jeff started up there with getting skate parks built. Every little town has one now. And most of them are evergreen parks, which in my opinion are some of the best places you could ever ride a skateboard is at an evergreen skate park. Yeah, Flow Park. So, uh, well, we talked a couple of minutes about that, didn't know. But anyway, Johnny, hopefully by then he will have messaged me back. Appreciate that. And, you know, hey, if you guys are sitting here wondering when we're going to get Johnny on or Jeff Newton or, you know, obviously some of the many, many big names out there, we're going to try. We're going to get there. Call us back. Yeah, call us back. No, part of it is really we're trying not to do the Zoom call-in type of stuff as much as we can. We want to, we think interviews are a lot better in person. The interaction, the energy is a lot better. So we're going to do that. So sometimes we might get, you know, quicker to people that are in our area, um, but definitely got some feelers out for quite a few people that I'm trying to get in. When can you get here versus when we can get there and all that. So um, I don't know. Maybe we'll meet Jeff at some point. I don't know. Thanks, that would Johnny. Be cool. Johnny and, and Craig still hanging out. They I saw a picture of Johnny uh, with Billy Smith in Dallas. Dude, I and- just saw John last weekend. I went to Houston for the Emos oh, reunion. Yeah. The, they called it the 30th reunion, which uh, it's about three or four years late for the 30th reunion. But they had that big reunion show and Sugar Shack played and Johnny's Rad. playing bass with Sugar Shack you know, forever. And uh, that was a, man, they killed. That was a rad show. That was a really good weekend all over the place. A lot of skaters turned out. I saw so many familiar faces there. It was it was really a like a family reunion kind of uh, event there. But there was several times where I looked around and I was like, man, when did so many old people start going to punk shows? <laughs> it's, it's like when you walk in and you're late, like me and my girl walk in or something, we're late and we're like, okay, uh, where's Carrie? And I'm like, uh, it's the dude wearing a black shirt with a hat and maybe has some gray hair and a gray beard. And you look at it, that's like 80% of us old effers. <laughs> so... Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so as we move on, um, also part of this evolution that we're figuring out as uh, John Miller over here, our producer, is that what we call you as our producer? Eureka Street Creative, as All opposed right. to Eureka Springs, the yeah. city in Arkansas that we're not going to talk about anymore. So, uh, you know, that 
uh, analogy that I mentioned earlier probably wasn't the greatest analogy with the, the is these episodes are going to be kind of like what the new Netflix and all these shows are where they do a lot of character building and it takes time to build up and all that stuff. So we're just, and then the character you like the most dies, dies. And as we've reviewed the, uh, you also have been uh, seeing some nice little teasers that John puts out. Those are a lot of fun. We're not at the point where we're going to YouTube all of this, but we are documenting the footage to make some little teasers and fun stuff. And so I started thinking about, well, shit, now we got to worry I about apologize. what we're, what we're wearing because that's part of the whole thing. You know, we got, you see the background, we've got some of our partners and sponsors and now I'm, I'm sporting a, uh, do you skate? And or are you uh, just wearing those just shoes? Wearing it's those shoes. Tim Kerr art. Tim Kerr art from a board that I think Madrid put out um, a few years ago, but it was a limited edition board that Tim Kerr did. Um, and, you know, kind of the whole same reflection of what the story I told you about Google Fiber Guy in the other episode where I looked out the window and he had Lakai shoes on. So I actually opened the door. And that's kind of a, a pretty ongoing, underwritten rule in skateboarding is that. You will notice that the first time skaters meet, especially in the 80s stuff, you looked at their shoes. And at that point, what did you know? If they were goofy-footed or regular. <laughs> well, that was one of the things you knew. <laughs> <laughs> and how their shoes wore and, yep. that's, and whether they were legit or not yep. like that. So are you just a, you know, you just a skater or are you just wearing those shoes right. kind of thing? So and you, sir, are wearing a Texas hook em horns. That would be the University of Texas. How about the Longhorns? How about the how about them Alabama Roll Tide? I'm sure we have some friends in the Gulf Coast. They put a little Gulf Coast magazine out. Roll in tears. Years, but they're Roll really tears. Not today, Saban. Which is a great transition that I wrote down, which I thought was kind of a thing. We are Texas Pro. We're Texas Texas. We love Texas. That's why we're doing this podcast. We love Texas skateboarding. That's why we're doing this podcast. But I also, thought it was... hook them. Hook them. I thought it was kind of ironic because... That was for you, Smitty. I was talking to Carjack about this, and I was like, how funny is it that when we were skaters back in the 80s, etc., uh, we were always trying to avoid the jocks. The football players were making fun of us. What are you doing playing on the toys? And, you know, whatever. The whole stories of Texas and football and it's king, and but they treated skaters and all that like shit. Yeah. And then come round as we've gotten older and most of our friends are pretty huge football fans yet we didn't play it's inevitable inevitable you can't escape it in this state it it's the air that you breathe you can only hold your breath for so long it will get you sooner or later despite your best efforts in some cases but it is weird. It's totally a different vibe these days. And I think a big part of it is because skateboarding is so mainstream that all the guys that are playing football these days grew up riding a skateboard. Maybe before they ever started playing football, they rode a skateboard. So it's it's a just a different thing these days. Um, the I think the thing that still separates it is the the mindset. Skateboarding is just about the ultimate uh, individual activity where nobody's telling you that there's a right way and a wrong way to do it. There's not a, hopefully, God forbid, there's not a coach telling you this is the way you got to do it. And, you know, when you see that kind of thing, occasionally the, the real people roll their eyes like, oh my God, it's the skate coach dad. And you kind of feel bad for that kid. Um, Cause that's why a lot of us started skateboarding was we did not like getting yelled at by the coach and told, this is what you have to do. Like, would I want to do this? Thing? No, you got to do this, this way. Mm -mm. And I, you know, I'm, I'm not in the, the athletics world. So I couldn't tell you how 
the attitudes work in this day and age with that. But I imagine that's still probably a thing that uh, attracts a lot of people to skateboarding. But I don't know. It's a different world than it was in the 80s. Yeah. And two points on that. One later is that uh, we discussed briefly about the whole uh, going from the skateboard team look to the skateboard look without the team. That'll be brought up probably at the very end of this because there's a point of a San Antonio contest that we mentioned um, that uh, was part of that. So, um, man, tons of stuff. The uh, ah. I, I had a side story about the jock thing, about uh, the, the long-term revenge on the jocks. Being by the mid-90s, late 90s, uh, living in Austin with a backyard ramp, going to keg parties and stuff. You know, frequently you go around on a weekend night and you're just looking for drive around like Hyde Park or West University area and you look for the house that has all the lights on in the backyard and a bunch of cars out front. And you're like, oh, there's free beer back there. And so you go in and you just roll in with eight or 10 of your friends and you surround the keg and you just keep passing the tap around to everybody and nobody else who actually belongs at the party gets a chance because by the time it gets to the last of your eight guys, the first guy's already finished his beer and is pouring another one. And so you just try to float the keg as quick as you can before somebody realizes that you don't belong at the party and you get kicked out. But at that point, hanging out at keg parties, inevitably you run into some jock guys who are like, oh, you guys are skaters? Yeah, I used to skate. And they do the whole I used to thing. And you, But that would happen at like my backyard ramp sometimes. And we're like, oh man, how long has it been? Like, oh, I haven't tried it in like 10 years. I'm like, oh, it's like riding a bike, dude. It's like riding a bike. And we'd convince them to try to drop in on the ramp and they would slam usually really badly. And we'd be like, oh, you were so close. Try it again. And it's a small ramp. So it's not super intimidating. Well, for, well this, smaller happened, ramp. this happened at the Death Star where people oh, were dropping shit. on a six, seven foot ramp and just, just splattering. And we would give them the, the pep talk. We were being so, you know, falsely positive. Like, oh, you were so close. Try it again. And they'd get up and they'd try it again. And I, we would get some dudes to try it like seven times in a row to where we're like, okay, maybe stop now. You probably have a concussion. Is that a little bit of a uh, get back at them? Yeah, that was revenge. <laughs> that was straight up revenge. <laughs> it's fucking jocks. A dish it. best served cold. Yeah, right. And now they think we're the cool ones. Hey, uh, there was probably some weird edit a minute ago because I completely messed up because we're not pro at this, but I remembered now. So okay. the two points, the two points where we're going to talk later about the old uh, sports teams transition skateboard early in the 70s thing right. that we talked about. And also just point, uh, Vans just awarded a pitcher for in the major baseball league, MLB. Oh yeah, uh, he the, pitched, the Vans wearing shoes, pitched, Vans. Uh, no hitter, right? Yeah, he pitched a no hitter wearing the guy's Vans. Name. Um, but they like he went out there and they did the whole um, bronze the shoe like you did when you're like they did when your baby's thing and all that and had a little Steve Van Doren did a post on it and all that but that's cool so that is it's a jock rad. thing so now they're envious of us uh, you know I've been watching and listening to a lot of podcasts to try to learn how to do this better and a lot of those podcasts are starting to get like you know Tony and those guys Tony Hawk and those guys are getting Seth Rogen and Weird Al Yankovic and they're getting all these people and you think that they would the podcasts are going to be a lot more about those guys but they end up asking more skate shit 
yeah. questions, which is super cool. Because so, they want to know. So one of the things I realized as we were going through this a second ago in your story is some of the times we're going to be floating over some mentions and some names. Oh, Michelle Kitchens, da, 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 and, and so-and-so, and Schmitty, and so-and-so. And you guys might or might not know who these people are. So over time, we're going to try to do a little better job of maybe describing that um, last episode that you heard before we recorded this one no you would have heard three i'm sorry two the jimmy episode episode one um, good god I dude know. you just sent me into an inception level it deep happens. dive it happens uh in that episode we poorly mentioned places and sometimes glazed over so we'll try to do a better job of that i mentioned something about corpus ditches and then i mentioned about the ditch uh, near the police station in portland everybody's like portland what are they talking about portland no there's a portland texas that's kind of what I meant. So, anyway. Not Maine, not <laughs> Oregon, Portland, Texas. Portland, Texas. E even people in Texas don't know that that place exists. So, uh, as we start to move on into this, a uh, couple of mentions from episode 012 uh, that we have done. Of course, the episode zero was the intro, why we're doing this. Uh, the deep dive that I said 14 times, episode one, I gave a lot of shout-out mentions and probably had some bad grammar. Uh, I also misnamed the skate park that was owned by Dennis Epinette's parents prior to the skate park of Houston, and I called it Cherry Hills or something. I think I missed. It was Texas Twister. Was Texas Twister. Texas Twister. Well, you didn't catch that, Carjack, so no, I, no, I missed I didn't, it. I didn't correct you. That, okay. So maybe that's just because you know that we're going to have a segment of corrections later. Sure, that's why. I also, when we, we realized that we were mentioning names of Immemorial when we talked about Tom Thornhill, I said Tom Hill at one point, and I, I apologize that for too. that. Damn it. That was Tom Thornhill. So um, want to mention a couple of things that uh, we uh, messed up or need to change. And again, we're trying to get better than this. I also kind of did that thing where I talked about the street flippers and we we're going to talk about street and all that, which we're going to. There's a ton of that stuff. Um, just had a little uh, message with Jake Dunn, who was just on Talking Schmidt. So he's important to the Austin scene. For and, sure. And, and all that. So... Anyway, when we were talking about the street flippers and all that, I rolled right into. Wait a minute, hang on, hang on one second here. I I I, I got to pick a bone. Pick with a bone. You. I'm sure that several of y'all do. Are you dismissively referring to Jake Nunn as a street flipper? No, that is not the point whatsoever, Jake. I did not. I kind of floated my Jake sentence Nunn about Jake is talking. not a street flipper. Jake Nunn is a straight ripper. Ripper, yes, I know. Ollie over the huge trash cans and a lot of stuff. We'll talk about that. No, I was ref I was blending sentences. I just got to give Jake his props. Oh, Jake's got lots of props. Every damn time. Every damn time. My point was is that in that episode, I started talking about the street flippers. We're going to get to it. And then I rolled right into slalom. And then we talked about Maggie, who is the daughter of Kenny Harrison, who's from Corpus Christi, who does slalom and is nationally ranked at age... Uh, let's say 14. 50. Oh, you mean Maggie. Maggie. I was like trying to be nice to Kenny and <laughs> not make him older than he is. Maggie, I think, is still 13. Right. I mean, then I rolled right back into, so don't worry, we'll get back to you street flippers. And all the people were thinking, wait a minute, he just talked about slalom. That's not, okay, anyway. So we're getting better at this. Oh, yeah, slalom and, and street skating are exactly the same thing. No. Not at all. But they will be subjects that we breach. I was just trying to give some corrections on some things and uh, go through that because I make notes as I listen so that, again, hopefully we're keeping you entertained and you haven't flipped stations yet. 
Can you really flip stations on a podcast? Flip podcast? I, I don't know. How to I don't know. We'd have to ask John. He's I was never good at flip guy. tricks, so I couldn't tell you how any of that works. The other cool thing um, about the last few weeks, as we mentioned, we've been getting a lot of love. It's certainly amazing to hear back. Um, so I want to give some shout outs. Uh, in the cabbage, in the patch with cabbage, I think is his name. He's in Maryland. And he sent me a note thanking us for mentioning the Ocean Bowl in our episode zero, which was part of us discussing uh, that would have been the third park in the second coming of parks in the 70s that opened in June of 76. Previous to that was Holly Hills that had opened in May of 76. And then two in months... Corpus. In Corpus. And two months prior to that was Carlsbad. So part of, again, our argument that we will continue to mention that Corpus Christi is... Epicenter is not the right word because I looked that up. It's more of a mecca. It's really kind of interesting, though, to see that those parks all opened in such a quick succession in in the same season of 1976 and one was in southern california one was on the texas coast and one was on the east coast in maryland so that's the whole damn country oceans yeah but i mean they're they're yeah they're all coastal towns with a surf culture but at almost the same time west coast east coast gulf coast and those are the things that kind of springboarded the explosion of skate parks that happened the following year, 77, they started popping up everywhere, all right. over the country. Right. And within two years, by 79, there was hundreds of them everywhere. And then two years later, they were all gone. And it's weird to think about it, how that is such an epic time that's been memorialized in skateboarding lore as like, oh yeah, back in the 70s, there were parks everywhere and they were massive and they were monstrous and everybody had parks and it was this this era. I'm like, dude, it was a couple of years. Right. It was, it boom, came out of nowhere and boom, it was gone just, just as quickly. Sure. And a couple of things about that, as we mentioned previously, it's not just the coastal towns because there's an argument when we talked about Nash in Fort Worth, Texas, the largest skateboard company that's ever... I mean, the largest skateboard company producer at that time, and I have some numbers on that from an article I found that we are going to disprove some stuff here in a minute. Uh, but, um, yeah, it's definitely those coastal towns. And the other thing about that, if you went and did your homework, and I know Carjack, you're like, skateboarders don't want to do homework, but maybe, just maybe, this stirs some people to go get on the YouTubes and stuff. And if you w went and watched that first episode of A, Texas History, um, that we referred to that was done by Alan Gentry and Mike um, in that where they talk about the water comes from water and goes and on and on they talk about how when those parks started ma making coming up all of a sudden there were I don't know let's call them skate park big pharma guys meaning that they want to make money quick right on whatever they can just like the big pharma dudes try to make money on the pills and stuff so it, maybe that's not a good allergy but you know what I'm saying and then they flooded with parks starting to be built because they thought that was going to be the next cash cow. You build something permanent and you just let the money roll in, not realizing that it's not always the park. It's the, the products. It's the, the scene. And it's the scene the and the equipment. But I mean, that makes money. Oh, the makes like, Everybody will tell you that owns a skate place, Southside, for example. Oh, yeah. Southside's wonderful. It's great, but... Yeah, Southside's basically a 20,000 square foot uh, testing showroom for the little... Uh, whatever, 800 square foot shop 
that makes all the money. Cause at any skate park, it's the pro shop that actually makes the money that keeps the place in business. Right. If you're lucky, the money you pay to go ride the skate park maybe pays the light bill, but it's not paying the rent. Yeah. So in this episode, we were going to, we are going to talk about a little bit about that as we continue on and start to get in the meat of this. I also wanted to mention I can, that I can see John sweating right now as he's about to open an indoor skate park. <laughs> he's like, wait, what? Hey, but like you said in episode one, indoor skate parks are important and they're a missing, they're a missing thing in this, you oh, know, yeah. these days. They're, I mean, there are a part parks, of the, but it's yeah. a part of the culture that used to be a, a a vital integral part of the culture that's kind of gone away. And I think that it's something that can definitely come back. And I think there's a space for it now. I think that it just kind of went under for a little while when all the, the free concrete parks started popping up. And I think that's ingrained enough now to where there's more space. And that's something that could come back because it's an unfilled uh, niche yeah. in the market. Exactly. So um, just to finish off my notes, because I've make this crazy cat scratch outline as we try to do this in some professional manner. Uh, all the love we're getting, we appreciate that from everybody. Um, in the in the patch with Cabbage out of Maryland, um, I've seen Jeff Newton repost some of our stuff. I've seen all the guys that we've slightly mentioned or know that are pros that we know in, in Portland, Texas, starting to at least mention it, and we're super stoked and proud for that. One of which is our good friend Rainy Barres. Hey, Rainy. Rainy, who's apparently in town doing some stuff with the family because he is a family guy with Reagan and Rye. And I don't know if Andy's there or not, but they're. I think he got out. spotted on the freeway yesterday because Zach Castillo posted something of a van driving down the freeway um, somewhere in. Zach was down in San Marcos. Shirts? And, oh, and, no. Well, he was in San Antonio and San Marcos and, and New Braunfels yesterday. And he posted up a photo of a van driving down the road that said Hellride and 18 on it. And I was like, was that the anti-hero van? I don't know, but. Don't know. I don't know if there's a tour going on, but he was in town and he's been chiming in and lucky to, you know, have known him for a long time. And he is super stoked about what we're doing. He can't wait for episodes. And he's been doing something that he hasn't done that much. He's kind of posting on social media or he's at least contributing some old photos. And he's got some old Aerosmith, which was a company out of Austin, Texas, that made skateboards. Not the band yeah, from not Boston. the band, Aerosmith Skateboards, and uh, which we'll get into once we finally get a hold of like uh, John Now and some other people that will talk about that as a company. But anyway, so Rainy's been posted up and he's stoked and he's going to maybe throw us a little bit of things here and there. We're going to be doing some upcoming sticker packs that I've mentioned to help raise some funds and some other things with some of the, uh, the stuff that we've started to acquire to kind of help us move through this. So that is what's going on. Let's talk a little bit finally about what's going to happen in this episode, Carrie. This is where we are trying to cover the undocumented years of the mid to late 70s up until the great death of skateboarding when the, the 1970s fad kind of died out. But for a hot minute there, skateboarding was just skyrocketing in popular culture and uh, skateboarding as an activity was just growing in leaps and bounds because the equipment was suddenly getting better. And all of a sudden these parks started popping up. So there's all this new terrain to ride and tricks start getting invented left and right. And yeah, it, 
wasn't well documented, but man, there was a lot of stuff happening. And we're, again, we're finding a lot more, and some of this we're going to reveal as we go through this. Um, uh, we're finding a lot of, there's been some zines and some other things that were published that just weren't published and well-known. So either you knew about them because it was a local zine, uh, one of them from Dallas, two of them. We found one that I guess Dan Wilkes was doing that's super cool, and it's got a bunch of horror and other mixed stuff in the graphics and some funny drawings. And then you've got uh, something that that uh, I guess Jeff Newton was part of that Rainey posted actually, which was um, super cool. Again, we'll put links to this, but um, it's also got uh, T Texas Skateboard Association at the top of it. And I, I sent a message to Newton. I was like, what is that? I never heard. Uh, who is that? And he's like, it just sounded cool. Yeah. <laughs> So those dudes in Dallas were uh, just doing shit to fuck with us, really. But I mean, that's <laughs> that's kind of how you start things, and especially back then. You're going to create something from nothing. Just why not go ahead and try to make it sound legit from the get-go? Right, right. So as we get into this, uh, remember from our previous episodes, and of course talking to Jimmy Gonzalez recently, which that was wonderful. I can't wait to hear the edits on that. Why is Corpus Christi key, and what is the importance of Corpus Christi and Holly Hills being the second cement park concrete. concrete god dang it okay real quick cement is portland cement which is a binding material yeah, for it's, concrete it's the active Correct? ingredient in concrete right i mess it up all the time mike money said he doesn't know the difference and he's been riding it forever but that's what it is okay mike this is how it works concrete <laughs> consists of four ingredients you've got sand you've got aggregate some kind of gravel um the aggregate gives you your strength. The sand is a filler to fill in all the spaces between the aggregate. You've got water, and then you've got Portland cement, which is the active ingredient, which makes everything stick together. And it's called Portland cement because that's where it was Portland, made. England is where it oh, was. Portland, England. England. Not even Portland. Oh, so we have to go back to our the UK invasion and give them props for bringing us... Yeah, Portland cement? Portland cement has been around for a long sure, time. Sure, sure, I sure, mean, sure. the Romans invented How it. How often do you think about the Roman Empire? Oh. 2,000 odd years ago. But what we call Portland cement was uh, created in England, I think in the 1800s. And there's a town in the south of England. You know, if you're in like Dover, England, they call the White Cliffs of Dover. Right, They're these right. white chalky hills. That's all limestone. And if you crush limestone into a fine powder and then bake it in an oven, you get... Portland cement. And that's the active ingredient. You mix that with a little water, it gets sticky. And you've got cement, which you can use to as sort of a paste binding agent, you throw sand in there. Now you've got grout that you can use bricks with and you can build walls and stuff with grout. And then if you throw gravel in there, the gravel gives you compressive strength. And now you can make floors and walls and skate parks out of that stuff. This is your educational moment with Carjack. Which is perfect because it proves that we know what the fuck we're talking about. At least you do. I just kind of ramble on to make it I'm happen. not even getting into <laughs> the different admixtures you can put in there to plasticize or uh, accelerate or retard the speed of your, your curing times or the fibers you can throw in and any of this stuff, you know, the stuff that you put in to help it out with a shot creep mix. There, you can... You can get really technical with this stuff, and I'm going to try to not bore anybody with that stuff, but I have I've studied this for a, a little while, and 
it, it's easy to get really obsessive with it. We'll save that for Tangent with Carjack. I'll try to spare you. All right. So, uh, again, uh, why Corpus Christi, Christi, Texas is important, not mentioned near as much, and why we continue to find that it is part of the epicenter mecca those definitions uh mecca is really better way to put it but ground zero ground zero uh for texas skateboarding um and we are also going to go a little bit back we realized we glazed over some of the texas parks i'm not going to necessarily name all of them but there's certainly a few of them that i want to kind of mention and talk about because the people in the different cities are like why didn't you talk about wizard up in dallas or usa in san antonio so we'll uh, i've got a little list here i'll bring up in a minute and I guess, like you said, we're mostly staying pre-80. We thought we are going to go to 81, but we're just not there yet. We're finding more and more stuff, which we didn't think we had, and that's what this whole podcast is about, is to try to get this history straight. We want a timeline of things that we've heard about or, or heard stories of, but not necessarily have seen. And we, at the end of this, hopefully, if there's ever an end to this, we want to see a better, more concise history of Texas. And that's super important. So, and again, we're always going to mix in interviews like you heard with Jimmy. We've got a few people coming up in the plate um, and we'll skip around. But in this episode, uh, we're also going to discuss and start adding in a little bit of historical perspective with some kind of pop culture and things that were influencing us to you know get out on our skateboard and roll um there may be some more mentions of ditches and pools and things of that nature so that's kind of what's going to happen here in episode three are you ready almost <laughs> i like that we're 20 minutes into this podcast and we're still talking about what we're going to do well, in this you know, podcast i think that's part of this evolution is we're finding out that we don't want to just get in and th- roll through the history we want to give some perspective and we also want to kind of take our time on this and we've got other shit to talk about in texas and other good things to pimp so that's part of it sure but we can get to it get to it class <laughs> um and just before we step into that, uh, the quick update, we already kind of mentioned that the curb bash happened. We mentioned that uh, um, which hasn't happened is the Banger in the Hangar, which is upcoming. That's already sold out. So Yeah, I saw that. That's it's pretty impressive. Out. So if you're not on the waiting list, you're standing at the fence looking over the fence at all the people inside the fence. <laughs> so what you want to do is get your buddy to interlock their fingers like this and create sort of a stirrup that you can put your foot into and then they hoist you up over that fence. Hoist. Fence hoisting. Terms with carjack. Don't break into anything, kids. That's that's Scott, I'm not encouraging anybody to break into your event. Jump the fence. Jump the fence. <laughs> <laughs> that's a uh, that's a name of a big boy song. It is. It is. And you see what jump, I did there? Just jump the fence. <laughs> um, and so don't we, have any ambivalence. As I'm going through just my, jump the fence. Jump the fence. As I'm going through my list here, and as we uh, just before we jump in, I did want to do the little mentions and shout outs and things, and we've, we're trying to refine this and uh, make this a little better. We've had. People starting to reach out. We appreciate those people that have pitched in. Uh, we have a Venmo at Won't Shut Up and Skate um, that if you want to buy us a beer, buy us some coffee, throw in something to help us out, you're excited, whatever, then we're stoked and we appreciate that. Um, we've got the uh, Won't Shut Up and Skate at Gmail, which is if you want to contact us about anything, if you want to sponsor, if you want to give us events, if you want to. Uh, again, this is a perspective from Carrie and I, and we're in Central Texas, and although we're relatively tied into the state happenings, there's so much going on, uh, like a contest in Bastrop yesterday that we didn't know until 
couple of days ago. So we, if we don't know the events going on or you want to promote it or something, make sure you get it to us in advance because these are recorded and then it's sometimes a couple of weeks before they get going. So yeah, send us your event info and we'll make sure we talk about it after it already happened. <laughs> <laughs> or something like that. Um, so as we've tried to figure out this whole podcast thing and we're starting to grow, we've got almost 600 on our IG. I keep saying Insta, but that's not the cool thing. And if you say the gram, I guess that's not the cool thing. So now it's just IG. I have no idea, but it's what it is. Is that cool? Yeah, I guess. Are you now cool? Uh, no, I'm not cool. Is 600 followers, are we in Taylor Swift status? No, no. We don't get um, uh, any kind of influencer until we get to 30,000, and that would be a micro-influencer, and I don't think that's... That's you know, like... Maybe. I don't know. That's like Taylor Texas status. Taylor Texas. <laughs> I was afraid of that, but no. Um, but so as we've started to kind of figure this out and figure out, you know, I like to say the business of a podcast because we are really here just passionately to talk about Texas and and prop up our Texas skaters and the scene and what happened and its influence that is undervalued in skateboarding overall. Continuing to through today, because I had a conversation um, with somebody I'll mention here in a second, but we decided that we're going to do what we call a bud level, a bro level, and a pro level. So our buds are people who want to buy some coffee, want to throw us some dollars to help out. It'll go towards making more stickers or anything that we can do to help make this show better. And um, we appreciate that. And it's like buying your buddy a, a drink at the bar or whatever. Um, that's basically just buddies and we're going to call it our bud level. And we, you'll get a mention, you'll get a little shout out. Um, I've got a couple of them that's actually. That's the level of showing up at the ramp. With beer. Right, because we know the rule of thumb is if the dude walks up and he's either got only a beer or two for him or he has no beer, but you know that guy guzzles beer, what does that, that happen? That's a net negative. <laughs> negative, yes. <laughs> You've got to bring beer to the session. Um, uh, what so, was the next level? Oh, you oh were no, so bud out? level. So uh, I want to give uh, bud level shout outs to Kit Cheney. Kit Janey, a buddy of mine from San Marcos, lives out in Canyon Lake, threw us some bones. Thank nice you, big Kit. bone uh, to kind of help out. He's stoked for what we're doing, so he threw us a bone. So big shout out to Kit. Uh, Kit Chaney, check him out. Follow his Insta. Blow him up. Um, uh, also, uh, some love to Brian Sarbar, Sarbar. I don't even know how to say his, his Charsky. 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 Brian Charsky. Brian Charsky. Brian Charsky is not a Texas skater. But he loves Texas. So much that he created a festival that happens here every year. Which is happening in two weeks, which will have already happened when you hear this, called Stupid Fest. And he's with he's created something called The Never Was, which is a group of a bunch of us people, skaters, not OGs, everybody. We're not has-beens. Not has-beens. We never were. Never were. So love for him. Um, he's actually overseas listening and uh, in like... Uh, Israel. Israel. And so he gave us some bones, so we appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you very Brian. much, Brian. We miss you. Uh, and also, uh, all I got was a message that said, sticker bitches from Tracy Weller. <laughs> Tracy Weller, if you remember uh, our conversation about the best hair in our group, which, by the way, we mentioned Craig Johnson. He's not really in our group, but Craig Johnson has really, really good hair. Oh, hell yeah, he does. But it was uh, leading the pack as Lee Brooks by far. I made a little meme, a yeah. little thing. And then there's uh, Jimmy Coleman. Oh. Jimmy Coleman, and then there's Weller. It was almost an unfair fight to lead off with Lee Brooks on that. But I know. 
But anyway, Weller sent us uh, some coin, and he got some stickers. I already sent him to him. Thank so you, I appreciate Weller, that to him. What we want is a puppy, goddammit. Yeah. yeah, props out to Tracy. As much as we make fun of him, that dude is on point with rescuing dogs and dog rescue and taking care of that kind of thing. He's got a area. heart as big as Texas. He's got a heart as big as Texas. He's part of the UK invasion, he which might, we will be talking about he later. He might look stern and gruff, but he's a big softy. Yeah, big softy. I'm not going to make a joke from that point. No, we love you, Weller. Thank you for what you do. <laughs> so uh, that's some buds. Uh, then we've got some bro levels. Bro bro is what we're calling people who are companies that are wanting to support us. And maybe they're not, a, you know, they don't have coin, but they've got product. They've got some things they can float down. They can, they can give us some love. They can collab. They can share cross post, you know, basically doing what we can to help promote each other. And uh, our bud sponsors, of course, are my bro, money and bro, bro sponsors, bro sponsors, uh, uh, cockfight. Skateboards out of Houston, out Texas. Of Houston, Texas. Thank Cockfight. you, Mike Money. Thank you, Mike Money and crew. Uh, also, Grackle out of Longview, out of Longview, Longview Texas. Texas. Um, which we will also be having some upcoming episodes, including an in memoriam, in memoriam we didn't mention before, Scott Mosier, um, who passed away back in 91, I think was the year. But we'll do some discussion. He was very important, and he was also one of the dudes at the top of the list when there were contests and events. And he's from Longview, another city that a lot of you people not in Texas may not know. But it's a pretty important town because there was a really good scene there. Well, it's hidden behind the Pine Curtain. It's easy to miss it. The Pine Curtain. It's East Texas. East Texas. I was going to say, if you say Pine Curtain, you might want to have to clarify uh, the transition from the hill country to the piney woods. Yeah, that would be that wall of trees you hit when you get, (laughs) you know, east of, I don't know, Highway 6 or, you know, 30 minutes east of Dallas. Um, Suddenly you're in the forest. Right. Right, so check out Grackle. They're uh, one of our uh, partners, and also that is a good company too. Like, they, they've got some quality stuff. He's getting his uh, his wood pe- uh, pressed from uh, Paige Hearn in Little Rock, Arkansas, with Skate Page, who has been making really good skateboards for at least thirty years now. I used yeah. to buy boards from him in the nineties. Um, so he's a good dude. The guys uh, at at uh, Grackle are making some good stuff. They were here at the at the curb bash at the Lizard Ditch last weekend. They had a booth set up. They brought some skaters with them. They've got their own team of guys they're sponsoring and good crew and some rippers on that team. Definitely. And, and one thing I want to quickly say, yeah, we're going to allow partnerships, collabs, sponsorships and all that. And we're not going to limit it to one board company or one this, one that. That's not what we're about. We're about pumping up everybody. And in talking to some of these company owners and people who are participating, there's enough out there. Nobody's, everybody loves each other. There's not a lot of hate in Texas. I, I, I mean, not that we know of, but most of the board companies are cool with each other and they set up and they hang and they talk and it's not about that. So yeah, we're going to mention sponsors and people and bros and friends that are not just they're the same types I mean, of products unless nash wants to offer us the bag back in the fire and this will be a fully nash sponsored <laughs> yeah, right <laughs> um i tried to say that without and i mentioned in episode one and i may have in episode two but cherries is 
fully aboard now. So big uh, love to Cherry's Wills and Cat. Uh, we have a little Cherry's banner out here, and uh, we mentioned her earlier when they did the Kerr Bash and how awesome it was, etc. Uh, and we have mentioned a couple of things about Cherry's Wheels being a Texas-owned company, which is important. It is a woman-owned, the first of its kind, and they are blowing up, doing great. Their marketing is killer. She's killer. Um, and... They've got like four or five wheels, one of which is a big boys tribute wheel, 97, I think is the hardness. That and sounds right. 60, 60 is millimeter. 60, 60 millimeter. So it is right up our alley. So if you're listening to this podcast and you want some new wheels, don't don't necessarily go to the Spitfires. They're probably okay, but go to Cherries. The big boys are a little bit reminiscent yeah. of the OG Spitfires, the 60 millimeters that had the the... Instead of the conical shape, it was the sort of flat, squared off edges. Um, but it's like the Spitfire Classics, right. the OG ones. And uh, it's a good wheel. Yeah. And she's, uh, Cherry's doing a lot there. They've got some sponsor writers uh, and of those, all shapes and sizes. And, and those wheels rip. are actually getting manufactured oh. in Texas. Well, bring me to a point there. Guess what, people in Texas, that we are discovering that Texas is going to continue to do their things their way because we understand that the industry doesn't want to necessarily invest in Texas. If you're not out in the scene and out where it is, and then they're not going to travel here unless they're coming through town or there's an event. And that's unfortunate. So Texas is going to do its own. And Cherry's wheels are made in Hutto, Texas, which are just east of uh, Austin, northeast, I guess, of Austin. Yeah. And some uh, big news coming up. Apparently they were bought out and there's going to be a wood shop. Not... Cherry's wasn't. No, no, not Cherry's. Sorry. sorry. The wheel manufacturing company, the urethane company that's in Hutto is partnering with a distribution company? Is yes, the and they're doing some wood. So it looks like there's going to be some more things happening in Texas to keep it in Texas to push. We might now actually they have a skateboard wood shop pressing boards in Texas right. that's not in somebody's garage. And <laughs> There are several yeah. in people's garages. Yeah. Uh, Voluptuous with Hondo, uh, uh, Texican, Texican, of course. With Frank Garner. He's probably one of the top self-individual board company pressers in Texas, uh, which he's not even a sponsor. He's around traveling, but we love Frank and he's rad and important. We don't even know if Frank has even heard of this podcast yet because he's busy living his best life. He is living his best he life got in a van out traveling. Of the triple digit temperatures all the way back in like June and has been on the road consistently up in Montana, the Mecca Valhalla of skate parks, just camping, Living in 75-degree weather, if I sound a little resentful and jealous, it's because I am. God dang it, Frank. How did you figure this crap out? I love the fact you're doing this stuff. I wish I was there right now. <laughs> so the point is, is that we want to take our Texas family, no matter what products or, or things that you do, that you want to just partner and invest with us, then we want to share it. And it's going to be a big, happy family. And there's plenty of room for everybody. Um, and so also want to mentioned, which will probably have already happened, uh, Bowl of Cones. I'm not sure if you'll hear this, but Bowl of Cones, which is an event that Joey and I run, uh, which is a timed event in a bowl around cones. It's basically vertical slalom. Vertical slalom. It's been awesome. This is our fourth year, forget the pandemic split, but that's happening pretty soon. And it's uh, coming up in October. Yeah. So I don't know if you'll have heard that by this point, but bullet codes, keep it on your radar because that's a thing. And so I should introduce then as I've whittled on and we've gone too long on this, our first pro level 
So before pro, we get to we pro level, bud, bro, and pro. So I said the bud level is like the the bud. person who brings beer to the session. Right. The bro level is the person who shows up to help mix concrete at the DIY build or who helps bring over their screw gun to help you load a ramp or put, put, put it together. Put the layer on the ramp. The pro level is the people who are buying lumber for the ramp, paying for skate light, actually showing up with like legit pro tools or buying a pallet of concrete to build something. This is, this is serious level stuff. Well, at least as far as we're concerned and uh, not only are they friends of the show and excited about it, um, but we would like to introduce as uh, sponsoring episode three, Roger Skateboards. Roger Skateboards out of Austin, Texas. Austin, Texas. Mikey Sieben and Stacy Lowry have been doing Roger for how long now, Carjack? You know, a little bit longer. Oh, good Lord. I get it. The timeline mixed up because they started Bueno back in the day. And then there was a certain point where legal issues happened and they had to sort of redo the company. And uh, they decided to give themselves a challenge of, could we make a skateboard company work if we just gave it like the most random kind of nonsensical name ever. What if we just called it Roger? Well, what does that mean? Nobody knows. <laughs> and Roger is a Austin institution. They've been uh, around, like I said, for a long time. They've it's got been some, quite a while. Yeah, quite a while. They've got a great vibe. They got an got amazing pros, team of skaters. Amazing team. Yeah. And uh, most of their shit is fun. Keeps the fun, fun, fun in skateboarding. Yeah, they don't take a whole lot too seriously, which is, it, it's a really refreshing attitude to see, um, or it has been for a long time. When they first came out, I thought it was great that uh, they had the attitude of not really taking themselves seriously because they didn't know if they were going to make it for six months. And it just kept working and kept working and kept working. Well, I was lucky to talked to Mikey recently and they've got some big things coming and we are, and they're very stoked uh, about it. And, you know, it, again, it's Texas and we want to pimp it up. It's not anti any other place. Although we'll stir some feathers as I like to say, but it is about, um, you know, propping up our Texas companies and our friends and people who want to participate and help us grow this thing. Cause we want to make it go. And uh, maybe we'll finally get into the meat of this now. Yeah. But, you know, hey, good times. Don't forget to tell us uh, how we're doing and if you like what we're doing. So here we go. Back into what we were talking about, into the history stuff and Corpus Christi being key and all that. And we've already re-mentioned about Holly Hills and we talked about Hot Lips. Later on, we'll talk about Cecil Lee's just, ramp. Just to clarify, Hot Lips was oh, a yes. skate spot. That was a ditch in Corpus Christi? It was a ditch in Corpus Christi that I kind of went, Hot Lips, wait, is it Whip and Dip? Wait, is it Hot Lips? I kind of fucked that up because my brain yeah. is Whip trying to figure out how to Dallas. do this. Whip and Dip is in Dallas. That's Easy the Seven's one. in Houston. Easy Hot Lips was in Corpus. Correct. And then there's the Portland, Texas ditch that is not far from where that used to be in Corpus Christi. And I'm sure there's some other ditches in Corpus uh, that we're not aware of, but those were the ones that were like, when you went into town, that was the place that you went to skate right. if it wasn't your park or, you know, whatever the case was. So this is taking happened. us back into the 1970s, the mid-70s. Yeah, we're still basically in the 70s um, because we figured out that there's a lot more 
to go off of. And one of the things that we talked about, Holly Hills and the importance of it and the surf culture and all of that. And as Carjack mentioned before, there was a uh, um, explosion of parks that happened from that 76 up through 78, 79, um, et cetera. And we mentioned a couple, but I just want to kind of roll through a couple just because people want to hear some names and all that stuff. In, in San Antonio, there was the USA Park. There was also All Aboard. Um, in Corpus, there was also a Corpus Christi skate park, but I think they're talking about the one that's modern. I don't think they're talking about Holly Hills. This is a list from skate parks in the 70s from Texas-style skateboarding, um, which I had mentioned Joe King in that episode and the stuff that he has put together about Texas. Big Springs is a park that I mentioned that nobody has heard of that was in Big Springs, Texas, which was just... Big uh, Springs. Springs, excuse me. Just, uh, I think, east or south of uh, Midland, Odessa area? Big Spring is on I-20 between Abilene and Midland. Okay. and But I'm assuming you've never ventured out to try to find that old park that was abandoned. I never tried to find the park, but I've... Uh, Big Spring, if you're taking a road trip out of Austin and you're going towards Colorado or Albuquerque and you're going through Abilene and Lubbock, you'll go through Big Spring. It's, right. it's on I-20, uh, just about the cutoff where you would cut north to go to Lubbock. It's a little further west than that. Yeah. But well, the, I've been, I've, I've street skated a bunch in that town. And the first time I heard that there was a big skate park there in the seventies, I was like, there's no way in this town. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a one, two light kind of town. But the cool thing about this, and this is not to jump ahead, but the reason I know about that park is because whenever we get to the San Marcos days when I was in college and team love and our crew of people that went out and skated and helped run contests and did those things, my first venture in spring of 85 with Brett Anderson, Steve Kurtner, Kenny Payton, Paul, uh, Paul Williams, and a few other people. Um, we drove out to the contest in Midland. And on the way to that contest, we stopped at an abandoned skate park called Big Springs. And it was the, I don't even know if there was a fence to jump and it was overgrown. And there was like a little mini bowl area, the, the type they used to do the freestyle in that had just like little banked walls. And then there was like a snaky run. And then there was some other stuff I don't exactly remember because I was probably too flabbergasted because that was the first time that I got to skate with and meet this guy named Jeff Phillips. Yeah, at Big Spring Skate Park. So that's what a random I, place yeah. to meet Phillips for the first well, time. Well, and it was him and a bunch of other people because they were there for that contest. That's the first time I met Brian Brannon from JFA, which if he ever hears this, he probably won't remember he met me, but we're friends on Facebook, so that counts, right? But sure. that's when I met him. And they did a, they did a, um, there was a, a, a bands that played at the event that night. I think the contest was in Midland and the, the bands were in Odessa. But anyway, that was a, that I can only a, imagine a JFA show in Odessa, Texas in 1985. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing cool about Big Springs, if you ever do want to stop, is somewhere outside of it, there's something called The System, which is miles and miles of interchanging ditches with tunnels to coffin under and just carve and skate. And that was one of the biggest things I remember about meeting Jeff in that whole event that happened um, was that we got to skate that with him. And I remember you know, I don't know, there's 10, 15 of us skating and we're cruising through and you're going through tunnels and you're meeting up and you're crossing over each other and you're carving. It was 
freaking cool. So there's a place called the system somewhere out there that is also a big part of that. So moving on, El Paso had a couple of skate parks, Desert Surf and Earth Surf. Uh, Galveston had the original Galveston Park, which somebody posted a flyer for not too long ago. And to bring up Steve Kurtner again, a friend of mine from Houston, there's a little image of a little skater, like 70s, like silhouette almost, and it's him. Oh, wow. Buddy Vars. And he was like on the logo for the park? Yeah. And he's actually a dude that I went to school with, also Team Love, that we'll be talking to at some point because he's got a lot of great stories and he was around in those super early days. He's at our age, you know, right in that, you know, that was early the, That would have been the, the Stewart Beach Park in Galveston? That would have been the Stewart Beach Park, not the one that's currently there on the seawall. This would have been one that was at Stewart Beach. Um, it had a seven-foot... Uh, a seven key or eight hole. foot keyhole yeah. bowl, a tiny little snake run and a couple of flat streeters. And then there was also a vert ramp off to the side, which is, it was the eighties. That's why we were there mostly. And, you know, a bunch of the old pros were there doing a uh, contest or an event and sort of thing. And that was kind of the last vestige of us remembering skating concrete parks because that was, there wasn't really anything else. Right. At that time, I don't remember when that would Galveston closed, but it, it did. Uh, 87, yeah. I want to say, because I got to hit it once right. when I was 16. Uh, it says Colleen Lone Star Skate Park, but I don't remember that. There was also the Lone Star Ramp. I That park? It, it's a park it in Colleen. It was a concrete skate park, and I'll show it to you. I've got it marked on Google Maps because it still exists. By the way, if you ever find your way to Carrie Jackson's Google Skate Map thingy. Austin Skate Map on Google Austin Maps. Austin Skate Map. You will blow your freaking lid on how many places he's tagged. Don't you have him tagged as places you've ridden, places that are ramps versus con versus Crete? Don't you have it all? Kind of yeah, like, a little bit. Yeah. But spots we're not supposed to talk about. You can find some of them. Well, no, some of them. Oh, you, have, you have this spot. The one spot you know of in Austin that I talk about, the ditch, that we can't talk about. Or somebody will call us and slap us. Yeah. Love that, you, Eric Kahn. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're allowed <laughs> to mention Surf Ditch, like the name, which shall not be No mentioned. video or yeah. where it's at. Yeah, just don't tag it. But um, Anyway, clean. Yeah, no, the, the, the skate park is still there. It's just, you know, buried. And you can find it if you go look on Google Maps. You can see what it looked like back in the day. It's, it's kind of crazy. And it's in Colleen, Texas, which is basically a military town, primarily yeah. a military town. It's at a place called the Redeemed Christian Church now. And like, look at this image on Google Maps. Oh, it's got the... There's a kidney bowl. There's a keyhole. There's a square bowl with two round ends, two sort of snake run things. Square hole with round ends. Have you seen the square post? Bowl. bowl. Have you seen the post a lot lately about skate parks and how they tend to look like penises? Yeah. <laughs> don't know how that happens when it's a bunch of skater dudes designing these <laughs> things. Hey, we're going to make this for the city and the city doesn't know until they do an aerial view that they've got a fucking bent cock with balls. Oh, wait. It's a skate park, but it's rad. One of the best examples of that I've ever seen, which <laughs> I'm pretty sure was definitely on purpose, is uh, the park in Spearman, Texas, up in the Panhandle that uh, David Reynolds Grapes designed and built. If you just look at the aerial photo, it's um, scandalous. <laughs> <laughs> so moving well on. Done. Well moving done. Moving on, that was in uh, Grand Prairie had mid, Grand Prairie outside of Dallas had Mid-City Skate Park. Uh, Houston had Gulf Coast. They had Riding the Glass, which I have never heard of. No. Skateboard City, that was my home park. I say home park, I went there like once or twice. That was Dave Donaldson's home park who will bring up again later as a six-year-old 
or nine year possibly nine year old. Um, <laughs> uh, it, it mentioned Stewart Beach, which we already talked about. Pasadena has Skaters Crater. Somebody needs to give us some info on that because I'm not familiar with that. Houston also had Solid Surf, which I remember hearing about, but I'm not sure where that was. South Bay Skate Park in Fort Worth, Surf City in San Angelo, and then there was, of course, the very famous Texas Pipeline uh, in Houston. Texas Twister, which was the park that Dennis Epinet's parents owned before the skate park in Houston. Yep. And then Wizard Skate Park up in the Dallas Garland area. And then USA Skateboard Park in Irving. And then there was another USA or something similar in San Antonio that we're going to be bringing up at the tail end of this episode. So All right. that's kind of a quick list of what's in there. But we are also knowing that there are a lot of parks that are not like, you know, for example, the one in Austin is not listed in there. That's true. Yeah, the one that was, it was right off of South Congress Avenue. Um, right. Not even that far south. It was like between Old Torf and Ben White. Right. And so there's a lot of parks and a lot of information that we'll get. And uh, when we get to talking to John Now or Kenny Payton or Brett Anderson, Poindexter, that we get a lot more information on that. Although I will say that in the six episodes from the uh, YouTube series that I've mentioned about a Texas skateboarding history from uh, Alan Gentry and Mike Laird, the sixth episode is Almost all footage of that. Flow Motion is the name of the park in Austin, by the way. Flow Motion, and it's a good 15, 20 minutes or more of skating at that. And Austin had a ripping scene back then that pretty much has been almost unheard of unless you were there back right. then. And that's part of, that's not that we live in Austin, but we are definitely going to be bringing that up and talking right. about it. So good stuff. So when we talk about those parks, Carjack, I wanted to lead you into this because I think it's interesting. It also leads to your, your construction background. And that is if you go and look at some of these links or look at some of these images, or you go to some of the posts on the new Facebook group, Won't Shut Up and Skate uh, Texas Archives, there are photos of these parks in these different cities. And the one thing that continues to stand out to me is that enormous amount of concrete was used. Enormous. Notice I paused when I said concrete. I was checking myself. <laughs> um, uh, and when you look at these, it looks like they, they, they built up hills and they plastered over hills and they had rollovers and everything was connected like an evergreen park on steroids maybe. I don't know. But my point is, is that with your experience in construction and what it takes nowadays to build the parks. And when we look at these photos of these just enormous hills and rollovers and these uh, half pipes, half pikes, give us some kind of sense of what that is. I mean, construction wise, because I think it's, a, and it wasn't skateboard park companies. So you mean like the, just the scale of what they just were doing? The scale and how maybe it would have been built or just kind of because it's important, I think, because everybody's doing all this DIY and they're building concrete now. They don't really have a sense when they look at those pictures. It's it's crazy when I look at them how much concrete they probably used. And the Yeah, and just the idea that they didn't necessarily know what they were doing. Um, they were kind of winging it because there wasn't a template to go off of and there wasn't something that already existed to compare it to at first. And, you know, the funny thing that I, that I hear from a lot of people who were around back in the day and remembering how epic some of these parks were is it doesn't even compare to the parks today. The parks today are built so much better. But yeah, I mean, some of these things, they 
they weren't sure exactly what they were doing and there wasn't a standard like, you know, it's not like building a, a tennis court or a basketball court where there are standards that it is this many feet by this many feet and whatever. It's more like a golf course of where it's um, everyone is supposed to be unique and you're trying to give it its own individual flair so that it's not there's a reason to go to that park as opposed to any skateboard. And everything back then was flow, kind of, in a sense, because... Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, skateboarding was evolving as well. Um, and so carving and surfing, a lot of those parks were kind of built with the thought of I mean, carving these, and surfing. A lot surfing. of those parks were invent. They were built before a lot of, like, skateboard aerials didn't even exist yet when some of those early parks were built. And for sure, modern skateboard tricks didn't exist yet, so... Back then, the whole essence of skateboarding was emulating surfing. So you wanted things that looked like concrete waves, which is why so many of those parks had names like the Concrete Wave or Earth Surf or right, right, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, random stuff like that. So they're just creating big moguls and hills and banked walls, things to carve on because that's what skaters were finding naturally in ditches and schoolyards and whatnot. And they're like, oh, just copy that. And as Skaters started adapting to that. They started kind of influencing the design and, hey, do something more like this. And so the the design aspect kind of evolved and it was kind of a quick learning curve because you look at parks that were built in 76 versus ones that were built in 79 and they probably look radically different. What do you think the thought process though? Because you didn't have skate park designers at that point and you didn't have companies that built skate parks and knew what to build other than what they were instructed. So what do you think those contractor meetings were like to get that to happen and design and the big investors to put the money in? Because I again, think most of it, it was whoever the owner, the entrepreneur who was starting the skate park, it was whatever idea that person had. And if they were lucky, they might have some local skateboarder that they were consulting with that was somebody really good and had ridden good terrain before and wanted, you know, was steering them in the right direction. And I mean, there are examples of how that kind of parlayed into the modern skate park industry that we have now, like Wally Holiday is a good example. He was a 17, 18-year-old skateboarder who got to be the consultant for this skate park in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. He helped design that. Then suddenly at age 18, 19, he's graduating high school, going off to college, and he's already got a resume like, yeah, I helped design this really good skateboard park in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Like if you go to wallyholidaydesigns.com, I don't know what his website's called, but if you go to his website, you know, he's one of the major skate park builders in the industry these days. That's still on his resume, you know, like, oh yeah, my first skate park was in 1979 or whatever. You know, most of these companies started in the 2000s. So he had sort of a 20 year head start on most yeah. of these guys. But it's just, it's so crazy. Like I said, the way the parks were built and the sheer amount of, of concrete material they used and all that. Yeah. It also kind of seemed like the parks always seemed, and I could be wrong, but it, it seems like you're, you come in, there's the pro shop, you check in, you get your helmets and all that. And then there was kind of like, it kind of flowed. You started with a whatever smaller area, then it goes and it goes, and you go around the corner and that's when you get into the big pipe and that sort of thing. It yeah. seemed like a lot of these parks were almost a run or almost a, like yeah. a course. Well, maybe. I think a lot of the idea was to, to make varied terrain that stepped up in, in ability where you're going from the bunny run to the green slope, to the blue slope, right. to the black diamond. And 
Um, I think they kind of based it on that idea. Again, it was the 70s. There was no blueprint for this. People were just kind of winging it and going with what they thought might work. And, you know, back then, building materials were way cheaper than they are now. And I think a lot of these places, somebody found a plot of land that was reasonably cheap, got the place, and just threw concrete at it. And thought it was going to be a cash cow because once they build it, it would just continue to... And some of them were right for a couple sure. of years until yeah. the insurance thing came in and, you know, the Texas hammer came down on them and started ambulance chasing and suing them out of existence. But Which is part of what we'll be talking about to kind of tail end this episode. Right. So that's kind of part of it. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's super cool. And as we get to interview people, we're going to get a lot more insight from those places and what they skated and... Jimmy told us a story about him and Jeff Bauer going to coming from Corpus. I want to say it was in Dallas. It might have been Wizard. I don't or no, it was USA. I think it's something we're going to be mentioning here in a little bit, a, a contest that happened. And where there was like 200 people from all over Texas and they showed up to go skate the park. And of course there was no internet. So they had no clue a contest was happening that day. And the only way they got to skate is that they entered the contest. contest. And so you, he told that story. That was a great story. And that's kind of part of what it was because you were still at that point where even back then, flyer making flyers and all that stuff wasn't even as much of a thing and trying to get around to where parks and what events were happening and all that stuff randomly just showed up at a park and got there so that's a pretty cool thing um well thanks for your insight on uh crete parks carjack i think it's uh we're going to be talking a lot about that because it's important as we move through and i go to page two as we are more than halfway through this john is looking at us um i uh pulled up something and i wrote what the fuck wtf facts and i did the old parentheses the old oh it's facts which has all become popular in the political days here oh, these real these these uh previous couple of years so i got out this article and i wanted to do some stirring of the feathers ruffling the feathers is the real thing stirring the pot but i said stirring the feathers accidentally so whatever i'm making it a thing poking the anthill poking the anthill did i tell the story about poking i think i told the story about peeing on the anthill being covered with ants after that. And that's my, usually an ill-advised idea. It's like five. And then my mom had to run the bathwater and all the ants <laughs> floated up. I think I told that story. I don't remember. It could have been something else. Um, but ironically enough, I suppose, this article is Care of Concrete Waves. It was published uh, April 24th of 2023. So just published. Yeah. Concrete Waves, we know that. Online magazine, do they also have a publication magazine? Uh, sure, I think they, they print that thing. They do. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, so I thought I'd just go through some of the facts they talked about because one of the things that this article does is it talks about the early days and then it goes into the crash of skateboarding, goes in the 70s, and then it goes into the 80s, and then it says 90s and beyond. Like they skipped over 30 years of stuff. Right. So that's one little beef, but... Okay, it was their article. That's fine. Interesting fact, in 1963 to 1965, between Makaha, I think I said that right, yeah. and Nash, Makaha was Hawaii, I think, or California. California. Western. 1963 and 1965, this goes to your point in our episode one about even though Nash's were considered crap, it brought skateboarding to a ton of people. In those two years, 63 to 65, over 50 million complete boards were sold. 50 million. That's a lot. In 63 to 65. And then it died after Christmas of 65. That's the death of a fat. That is the death <laughs> of a fat. That is the death of the fat. And That's that was like the first, a hula hoop. First death. Yeah, let's say, uh, hey, this is fun. 
and then you realize it's like fun for five minutes, yeah, 10 minutes maybe. It's not that easy. And then they uh, talked about the crash and fall of 1965 and why, and a lot of it had to do with skateboards sucked. It was top of the line at that time, but steel wheels or even clay, you'll slide out on the sidewalk all over the place. And they just weren't as good. They were fun, but as people wanted to continue riding them from being very small youth up to growing up, maybe that was part of it. And in 1965 Christmas, the reason that skateboarding died, according to this article from Concrete Waves, is because the sheer number of returned orders you Um, got a board for christmas and then you fell and your mom took that shit and tried to return it (laughs) (laughs) but i mean all sales final all sales final in 1970 uh we talk about 7073 i have noted here i can't remember exactly but 1970 is what i have noted and this was also a story from jimmy that he told about where he rode his clay wheels all the way to the store or the surf shop or skate shop or whatever. And by the time he got there, the wheels were gone. And then he looked in the case and he's like, what are those red rubbery looking things? And that's when Frank Nasworthy introduced urethane and Cadillac wheels. And Jimmy Gonzalez was on the forefront because he got one at that time. Uh, I mean, got wheels at that time. Yeah, and it was a game changer. Game changer and definitely with the parks and being able to do tricks and some of the stuff that he talked about rolling in off the ramp off his garage, which is freaking fantastic. Have you seen those pictures? Um, Bennett, Indy, and Tracker, this article said, started in 1973. Carjack, would you like to comment on that? That is factually incorrect. <laughs> Independent Truck started in 1978, and it's funny that that article would say that it was concurrent with uh, Bennett and Tracker because the whole idea with Indy was when they were starting, they had already invented the Stroker truck, which was sort of a downhill racing truck that looked crazy. It had suspension springs and, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and all sorts of crazy stuff. And they weighed a ton. They were like five pounds each, but they turned really well. And they were trying to create this new truck company out of Northern California. And they were based in San Francisco and they wanted to get feedback from some legit riders. And then there was this young up and coming hotshot dude named Rick Blackheart. Mm-hmm. And they asked him for his opinion. And he said, make a truck that turns like a Bennett, but is strong like a tracker. Because tracker trucks at the time were considered probably the strongest skateboard trucks. They were durable, but they didn't turn very well. The geometry was weird. Bennett trucks had great geometry and turned amazingly well, but most of them had plastic base plates and they broke really easily. So right. he said, make something as strong or stronger than a tracker that turns like a Bennett and you'll have a winner. And that's how they came up with the Indy in 1978. So winner, winner, chicken dinner. Tracker had already been around probably since 73, 74. Okay. And Bennett was probably about 75. And, you know, Goldwing had been around for several years at that point. Chicago trucks obviously been around forever because that was an old roller skate company. Right. In uh, checked facking, uh, fact checking there, uh, Concrete Waves, we're calling you out on that. Uh, 1975, Road Rider Wheels and the Precision Bearing. No longer did you loosen the nut and lose your fucking (laughs) bearings rolling all all over the place. Yeah. 
BB's ever place. And that was obviously another game changer because then now you're combining urethane that can help you maneuver around and carve and speed and all those things. And then you had bearings that were precision, so they were better, faster. Well, and they were sealed. Sealed and lasted longer and all those things didn't go rusty, at least near as quick and all that. So that's huge for that. Also, facts, Concrete Waves article of 2023 they said the first outdoor skate park was in 1976 in florida no name or info mentioned <laughs> you're wrong you're wrong insert something john that says you're wrong you're wrong we've been talking about this and they got it wrong yeah well i mean and that's okay but we're here to get the facts right from what we know and uh there were parks kona was in 76 florida i'm guessing that's uh, what they're referring to pretty sure kona was 77 okay well they didn't give a name or any info they just said an outdoor park was in 76 and I'd, i'll go back and look at the now, article again but i didn't see anything kona but, may very well not have been the first skate park in florida i mean i know hollywood it's the second had one. longest Oh, oldest running park is coming oh, yeah, but it's, first one I don't know. But I don't know if it was the first one. I know Hollywood had one back then. Daytona, Stone Edge is pretty old, but I don't think it's that old. Um, I don't know. There was a bunch, but uh, I don't think they were first. I, no. I think Carlsbad still gets that honor. And also, as we've said this before, our friends in other states, Maryland and in the Patch with Cabbage, he does some history stuff in Maryland. If you're in Florida and we haven't heard of your history of Florida skateboarding podcast and you want to chime in or you want to correct us or you want to tell something different, then go start your own band. Or just get it going. <laughs> Let's know. Send us the info and we'll correct it and we'll do our best not to uh, badmouth Florida too much in the process, but you know, no promises. Right. And then the last kind of thing that they, in this article I pulled out, other than it went from 90 on, which skips a bunch of stuff, is they talked about the wider boards were created for the terrain, better maneuvers, better tricks. And then somebody named Alan Gelfand created the Ollie. Yeah. Not the handless air. The Ollie Air. Ollie Air, if you will. And one other, before we move to the next point of some fun stuff, I wanted, you told a story yesterday and I thought it was perfect for right now. And that was the story about the park that was being built and they realized that grinding the parks or doing airs wasn't a good thing. So <laughs> what did they do? Oh, tell, tell the story. That was a uh, Canis Park in Little Rock, Arkansas. Oh, um, it was Arkansas. Damn it. We got back to Arkansas. Yeah. And I, that bowl, it looks, if, if it's still there. You can go there, and there's an amazing DIY built around it now by all the locals. And so it's it's an absolutely world class skate spot these days. It's 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 a destination. It's badass. The original bowl is I don't know. It's probably four or five in the shallow. It's eight foot or so in the deep end, and it looks like it was built by the cavemen. I mean, it looks like it's been there for ten thousand years. It's really hard to, if you just walked up on it and, and somebody was like, guess when this was built, you you would be really hard pressed to come up with something because it doesn't exactly look like a 70s park, but it kind of does. But the concrete looks like it's 400 years old at least. But by my best understanding, it was built around 87, 88. It was a late 80s park built by the city and... They, it has no coping. It's just got sort of a hard edge lip. Noping. Uh, it's, well, you can't call it noping because it does stick out. Oh, but okay. It's, the bowl goes to vert in the deep end and then the coping just kind of goes over vert. Like for the last four inches before the lip, the, it goes past vert 
and the the locals that I know up there who grew up there and were going up every day to watch the construction while it was happening happening after school or whatever to go check it out and couldn't wait for the bowl to get done they said that the local the the contractors that were building it said yeah we we made the lip roll over past vert so you boys can't do them aerials out of there because that looked <laughs> city thought that looked dangerous so we curled it over so you can't do them aerials and didn't realize like number one that bowl is not built for doing good airs in i mean it's rough it's lumpy it's not well designed for that um but it didn't stop people because you can launch a little early into airs and i've seen people do you know chest high airs on that thing and you can still grind it um it it it's gnarly it's a burly ass bowl it is gnarly it is not um you know, it's a, it's a black diamond for sure, but it grinds. It's that thing is fun. But the point being is that they built it to try to prevent something yet. Skateboarders find a way. Oh, hell yeah. Take care of it, grind it down and whatever. And so that wasn't a Texas park, but I thought it was an appropriate story because it, it deserves mention in any, in Texas history, because you know, Little Rock's only two hours outside of the state lines. So if you're coming from, you know, Dallas, it's maybe a four hour drive. It's not that far. And for a long time, that was the closest concrete to skate from anywhere in Texas. And so it was worth a hit. If you were driving anywhere going east from Texas, you made a point to try to stop in Little Rock and hit that thing because it, it was worth going out of your way for because those the skate parks were just really few and far between back then. And that thing was kind of epic. Um, so... A, a lot of Texas skaters hit that place up. I mean, that was a destination for us. Yeah, so. and that kind of brings to the point that not only for Texas going out there, but when we talk about Texas, and we've mentioned before, we have a lot of love. We we give uh, we give some kind of Texas flexibilities to some of our traveling brethren. Uh, I mentioned our Louisiana Texans. Oh hell yeah! Uh, like uh, Dirt Dennis Martin uh, Martin that is out in California and has his hours shoe company going. But there was a bunch of dudes from Louisiana, a bunch of guys from uh, Florida, Arkansas, Oklahoma oh, yeah. that we kind of brought into the mix. They weren't Texans necessarily, but they were a big part of the scene and they came in and they Texas was a place to They're go. Bros. Which bros, which is again our whole point of why Texas is so undervalued and so important and pointing. It's so important. In the but yeah, I mean, <laughs> if you're coming from Houston and you're willing to drive out to Midland, Odessa for a skate contest from Houston. That's like seven hours. Little Rock, Arkansas is not seven hours from Houston and Lafayette, Louisiana is only like four. Like, right. If I'm willing to drive seven hours, I'm willing to drive four hours just because it's in the other direction. Big deal. Right. You know, <laughs> Well, as I look at, you uh, got to start winding this down. As you see, we can talk and we're going to be going on a slow roll on some things. So as I've got a stopwatch that I didn't even start till like 20 minutes into this, um, uh, got to start kind of winding down. And I, I'm realizing that some of my notes here, we're going to make some mentions and probably have to push some of this into a next episode. Darn, guys, we're going to have to do more episodes about stuff like this. We'll get to all of it, uh, but we're still trying to learn what's going on. But... I want to do some fun stuff kind of quickly through before we got into, and one mention about the people traveling. There are some stories that we're going to get into that was more in the 80s, I think, but there's, I'm starting to hear some stories and some things. Alan Gentry was one of them that talked about 
that Texas had such an important scene and they had Holly Hills and eventually had a, a rampant corpus called Cecil's, which was in the early, maybe 80, 79, 80, 81, something like that. But there are a lot of stories of Neil Blender traveling from Southern California, picking up Johnny or Craig or Jeff or whatever, and then they were going to Corpus Christi and they were going to skate. And I'm not sure if Holly Hills was involved in that, but there were a lot of these people that were pros or eventual pros that were coming into Texas because Texas had it going on and they had a scene and it was already developing. So that's something we're going to kind of branch out on, but I thought that was a cool thing that I've heard more than a couple of times about Blender coming into town. And there's probably other dudes that I'm not sure of, but Blender is... He's really, it's crazy because of all the California guys, Blender's kind of more associated with Texas than a lot of them because he was super good friends with Jeff and Craig and Johnny. And yeah, it. I guess so because Texas would not be the first thing that comes to mind with Neil Blender. No, but a lot of GNS writers in Texas. Though. Yeah, and well, and I think he may have been partly responsible for that because he certainly liked coming here and uh, he was always really cool to us and, uh, and I think he kind of was, you know, letting the the folks back at GNS know like hey man there's some there's some good skaters out there you might right. want to check out which we're going to there's going when we get in the 80s there's going to be a lot more detail that we go through so as we move on i wanted to jump into some fun stuff maybe a chance for john to use his wizardry of putting in some filler music and some other fun stuff but i i kind of started figuring that we need to kind of start putting some pop culture references and things that were going on in the times and the happenings so that we have a better idea when we get to the death of skateboarding there's going to be some stuff about the economy and stuff that was going on but one of the things i want to kind of talk about is we're in the 70s right now and when we weren't skateboarding what was influencing us or what was happening and the cool thing is is i found four things that were happening in the 70s that were directly related to skateboarding that were happening that we probably watched after we got done for the day and the first one and this is primetime tv when you had primetime tv in 1976 December of 1976 episode, Farrah Fawcett and Charlie's Angels. Ooh, I remember and that photo. And I will say I had the Farrah Fawcett poster with the Mexican blank in the background or whatever it is, the one Farrah Fawcett poster. And I don't remember why, but it was in my closet. <laughs> it wasn't because your mom wouldn't <laughs> let you hang it on the wall. Maybe it has some, you know, some boobies showing. Not really boobies showing, but you know, it was a swimsuit poster. We all know the red swimsuit. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Also, by the way, Farrah Fawcett from Corpus Christi, Texas. Oh, I did not know that. A graduate no shit. of the University of Texas at Austin. I did know Austin. she was a graduate of the University of Texas. Well, look at that, folks. She from Corpus. Texas is the reason that a lot of young boys had posters of Farrah Fawcett on their wall. And I, I feel like we can legitimately claim her as a skateboarder. I, we can. There's we're, a, there's we're a claiming it. As I go through, and if you you were to look up that Farrah Fawcett episode, there's some fun stuff, and she's got some off pictures. Potentially the first Texas pro sponsorship. There you go. <laughs> Uh, but I thought it was kind of funny. I just real quick, they find her son Clifton missing. He turns to a skater to kind of help find them. This uh, is on the TV this show. This is on the TV show. Uh, the TV show's uh, subject was prostitution, smuggling, and murder. So throw that into the skateboard. Charlie's mix. Angels, yeah. Um, a free former board she was riding and Nikes yep. at the day, the early Nikes with the, the weird kind of running soul. Um, at one point, she meets at the park with the bad guy to meet up with her and she's carrying that board in a sling bag like a white bag with the little rope uh, backpack kind of thing, sling thing, and she's literally carrying an obvious skateboard in a bag as she meets this guy. And it, I don't know how they wrote that in, but it's 
the 70s. I'll give her props for not mall grabbing. She wasn't mall but she's carrying it in a bag, in a satchel. She had a satchel with a skateboard. And then she's going through, and then she's holding the bag, and then he's he's a bad guy. They're supposed to trade, exchange something, and she ends up kicking a trash can into him, and then how does she get away? She runs, uh, she runs and she jumps on the skateboard, and then she's riding on the skateboard down the hill super fast. She scoots between an ice cream truck where the patrons have to scoot back, and then she goes, and then she rolls over a truck and rolls into the grass, and then the dude hits the grass, and they catch him and all that kind of stuff. Oh, that's right. No, he's in a truck at that point. He's going through, and then he falls, and then and she smiles. <laughs> uh, I, I couldn't find Gene Coulter was the stunt double for Farrah Fawcett. And they mentioned Stacy Peralta. I don't think he was the skateboarding stunt double, but I'm wondering if he was. They did have the same hair. They did have the same hair. So, uh, but Stacy Peralta definitely involved in that. So that's your first funky pop culture. What's the, the second one? The second one is dun, 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 Chips with Ponch and John. Oh, that, was, that was your namesake show. <laughs> Chips. Uh, it's uh, C, capital H, IPS. California um, Highway Patrol. And, you know, this episode, the unsupervised kids were running amok. That's, I literally quoted that out of the article. Running amok. Um, and it shows the kids just being crazy and all that kind of stuff and some other... Well, that was the era of yeah. the movie Over the Edge. Right. And so at the end of the episode, after they solve whatever the mystery was and all that, Ponch and John get out with all the kids and they bring them to the skate park and they have the OG helmets and pads and gloves on and he goes to kind of get them together as a family. He goes, we're going to show you some rad maneuvers. Oh, hey, hey, come on now. You folks and all of us care about you. We want you to be safe. Show you how it's done. What? What? It's huh? Not bad, huh? Right. And it's Ponch and John, and you, you see these, you know, them going up and skating, and it's not them. It's whoever right, it's else. Obvious stunt doubles. Yeah, obviously good. And then they they put the uh, um, yeah, to be safe and be together. That was their whole purpose of getting together. And the kids are all stoked and they're fun. And there's that that little kid with the big glasses and the long straight hair that was in a bunch of shows. I don't remember his name. But then at the end, um, one of them says, it's style that counts. Oh, it's Ponch that says that. It's style that counts. Chips. Okay. Well, all right. <laughs> so that's kind of My fun. memory of that was they were talking about doing a tail tapper on the rad ramp. Probably so. I didn't go through the whole episode, but I was like, in November 24th, Thanksgiving, the day before Thanksgiving in 1978, what happens around Thanksgiving? The turkey jam in Houston. Yep. Right. Uh, not, the, not in 78, but yes. Right. Now, nowadays. Right. Is the Wonder Woman episode. I remember that one. Wonder Woman. I believe this, but there's some rod on a skateboard coming after. Uh, Diana uncovers a gambling ring, and with help from a skater with a photographic memory, that's what's so funny, because if you know Carjack, he's got a photographic memory. So I think this skater, who was a female, which is also, there's a lot of females in these early episodes, which is cool. Skateboarding was super woke back in the it 70s. Was woke, had a photographic memory. So that could be a relative of yours. Is that, that's how they helped solve the crime? No. Well, yeah, because she had a photographic memory. Um, and then uh, as she's going, there's a famous scene of her skating and they're at a skate park and she runs out of the skate park and she stands in the parking lot. And she's kind of looking around what happened. And then somebody left their board by their trunk of their car. It's just a board sitting there and she steals 
steals it. Never talks about it in this episode because she doesn't ever give it back. She I don't see it. She appropriates it. She appropriates that. Boy. Commandeers, oh, wait, if I'm you will. I'm a police officer. Let me have your car. Right. But it's a skateboard. So she skates off and she goes down and she's zooming in Wonder Woman's super crazy style. Um, and uh, basically, I just wrote, she steals it. Because at the end, the other skateboarder's there and they're all laughing. And nobody ever, we don't know what happens to the skateboard. So I'm assuming that Wonder Woman is a thief. I mean... I, I probably would have let Wonder Woman keep my skateboard. Probably so. Uh, interesting now, fact. I'd probably let Linda Carter keep my skateboard you know, if she was standing in front of me. Right. And that was Linda Carter, right? That was yes, Linda Carter. Linda Carter. Interesting fact. She went to high school with my dad. So she's also from Texas. Is she from Texas? Tom, Texas. Oh, wow. Holy shit. More Texas reasons. Sweet. And my last pop culture funness that I brought in is the wide, wide world of sports. ABC's wide world of sports uh, with Bud Palmer sitting in a park. Bud Palmer was the guy. He was sitting at the bottom of a bowl. Everybody, I'm Bud Palmer at the Carlsbad Skate Park. ABC's wide world of sports is here to cover the world skateboard championship. And Dennis Schofelt was a pro. Dennis S. H-U-F-E-L-T was a pro and he was promoting the sport and promoting it being safe and they were doing a little bit of interview and all that kind of stuff. Tell me he ate it really hard uh, or crashed no. into the reporter. <laughs> no? Uh, no. Dang uh, but they talk about uh, that f at that point there's a mention of 14 million skaters internationally in somewhere around 77. Yeah, it was big Probably. at that point. So, it was I mean, getting it big. It was huge. Um, and they talk about, it says the 1966 World uh, skateboarding chance, but it's not. It's in seventies um, because it included the famous Henry Hester versus Tony Alva slalom, where at the very end Hester, Hester eats it, eats it, yeah. and then rolls up and kind of sits up in Alva's, psh, and then Alva blew up. Oh, he was already blowing up at that point. Yeah, he blew up from yeah, there. Yeah. And Tony Alva's off to a very fast start. He's way out ahead of Henry Hester. Henry's really coming on strong now here, though, bud. Oh, and down goes Henry Hester. Tony Alva wins the first race, and that is seven-tenths of a second penalty to Henry Hester. This is something that you very rarely see when the top slalom race is going down. But they promoted uh, safety, um, better equipment, and one of the competitions was the barrel jump. And Tony had the, he was in the Guinness Book of World, he might still be in the Guinness Book of World Records because I don't think anybody's tried to defeat his his world record of, it was like 19 barrels he jumped over. Now, I've seen some pretty modern dudes jumping over a bunch of people and stuff, but I don't know if Guinness was out there. But yeah, so there's the barrel jump, which is a long board on one end and another one on the other, and they just literally jump it. And probably the yeah, funniest- you, you go really fast and right before your board hits the first barrel you jump off of it and do a long jump and then you land on the other skateboard that's on the other end of the barrels and those boards were pretty flexy so it could take the, the hit and that sort of thing and probably the the coolest thing i saw that if there was any way we could bring this back to real competition and that was the doubles catamaran <laughs> a snake run and hit this video they're they're going through the doubles catamaran and they're holding on and they're all serious and they took leather gloves and that whole thing and at the end when they cross the line there's another hump at the end and they fly and both of them fly off the boards. Yeah, they catch air and fly off the boards and whatever. But that was a real competition on ABC. Now, kids, Wide World Sports. If and any of you out there have not actually tried doing the catamaran, oh, maybe explain to our newbies. Hell, if you're old enough to have done the catamaran, go do it again because it's really fun. You get a, you get one of your friends, 
And we used to do this in parking garages. This was one of our standards at Stokes Garage over at 12th and Guadalupe in Austin. You sit down on your board, your buddy sits on their board facing you, you put your feet on their skateboard, they put their feet on your skateboard. You lock arms. You lock arms and then go. you go. And, and the point you is you have, have to, to lean. Yeah, you move each other, you and, shift. Yeah, and it looks like a, a catamaran sailboat and you might have to lean really hard to get around some of those curves. And if you really want to mess with your friend when they're on the outside and you're on the inside of the curve, don't lean as hard as they want you to lean and make them hit a wall. <laughs> Man, <laughs> but it be, be careful so because awesome. they'll do it to you on the next, the next yeah. floor down. It would be so awesome to bring that back. I know that they recently still do the slaloms at Kona and the thing, you know, the slaloms contest, which Lou from Austin said he beat Hackett or somebody. Yeah, he did. And uh, have you ever skated the snake run at Kona? I've been to Kona twice. So it's yeah, fast. It's fast. But it, just imagine in that thing. Oh my god, that would, that would be uh, yeah. uh, Kona. You're not in Texas, but Kona. Please bring that as a serious competition again and YouTube it. You know, it's funny. The first time I went to Kona in 1990, age 19, uh, my friend Brian Nelson and our other friend Jamie Marum were living and uh, with Brian's dad at the time. They went out for the summer to go spend the summer with Brian's dad in Orlando. And I came out to visit like six weeks later. And I said, is there anything you guys want me to bring from Texas for you? And they said, yes, 100%. There's something we need desperately out here. And I said, what's that? And they said, bring us a couple of T-shirts, the ones that say, fuck you, we're from Texas. And I'm like, really? And they're like, Florida needs to hear this so badly. We can't stand some of the people out here. So I got it is America's dong. So I got three of them and brought them out there, one for me, one for each of them, and we wore them every place that we went skateboarding for the two weeks I was out there, including Kona. And the owners of Kona are really nice, but um, it, it's a family-run place. They weren't having it with us with those T-shirts on. They were like, "You guys can't wear that." I'm like, "What do you got against Texas?" And they're like, it, it, "It's not the Texas part. It's 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 the fuck you part." Yeah. So we had to turn them inside out, um, which was funny because they were white with the, the you black. Can still see you it. could totally see it. <laughs> Except the plastic all ink Especially stuck to your once chest. we were sweating, which yeah. is Florida, so we were sweating buckets. It, 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 it kind of backfired on them. It was it was awesome. All right, trying to wind this down because we are definitely going long, and we appreciate that. A couple of other quick just points I thought in the seventies that were cool: Captain and Tennille. Uh, well, 75. Why is that cool? I don't know. It's what we were doing besides, just a perspective. And Captain Tennille wasn't cool. S Saturday Night Live started in 75, All in the Family, 75. 77 was Star Wars, yeah. Apple PC. Yeah. We were watching, that's when we were watching Fair and all them doing that stuff. Uh, the VHS tape in 77, Jimmy Carter, 77, 78, Van Halen. J Jimmy Carter was elected in 1976. Right, 76. Yeah, 76. Uh, 78, Van Halen. <laughs> Was Van Halen's Garland, first Three's album Company. dropped in yep. 78. 79, uh, Pink Floyd The Wall, Apocalypse Now, and The Walkman, which we used to ride our skateboards around on. So there's some fun kind of perspective stuff to what was happening in the 70s at that time and, and before the death of skateboarding and all that kind of stuff. Well, and I mean, you're in the middle of all this, we're talking about pop culture. One big thing that happened in that time that would not be on the major pop culture radar, but what was that be? huge for skateboarding was 1977, The Sex Pistols came out with oh, yes. their one and only actual album, Nevermind the Bollocks, and they decided to, it was a huge, hit's not the right word, but it was a huge news item. 
The Sex Pistols want to tour the United States, probably because they are banned almost everywhere in England. Despite that, they are still one of the most popular groups and their records, best sellers. But they are with their third record company in less than a year. Two large companies dump them because of their public behavior, not because of their violent, destructive, anarchist lyrics. Because it was this band with this filthy name, and they were a bunch of really, you know, punk rock was new. Nobody understood it. They, the media had no idea what to do with it. And they decided to tour the U.S. And they didn't do a typical tour, which would be, oh, we're going to go to the big cities. We're going to go to New York. We're going to go to Boston. We're going to go to Chicago, L.A., hit all the big major market cities and do a major tour. They said, we are flying to New York. We'll do a show there. Then we're going immediately to the Deep South, and we're going to go through... Uh, the Deep South, Atlanta, Birmingham, New Orleans, Houston, Dallas, San Antonio. And we're going to play at country music, honky tonk dance halls. This punk rock band from England. We're going to play at cowboy joints. And there's a story about the big boys going out to yeah, travel that's to what, see what them. I'm getting to with that. Yeah, yeah. The whole idea was we're going to these, these cowboy dance halls to play because it's going to stir up controversy. People are going to like want to throw bottles at us and stuff. And so every show was on the local news and like, you know, the, the police department was outside the show to make sure that, you know, they weren't corrupting the local youth or whatever, which they totally were. And the San Antonio show, there was these four friends who were skateboarders who met skating at the Pflugerville ditch. And they heard about the Sex Pistols show happening down in San Antonio and they drove down to see the show and afterwards, they were so jazzed up and inspired by it on the drive back to Austin. They were like, that was amazing. That was so cool. And those dudes had no idea how to play their instruments. Like, shit, we're better than that. We should start a band. And that's how the big boys got started. Oh, that's a beautiful story. The other thing that's cool about that is I remember they were traveling from east to west. So they were going from Atlanta, then Texas, and then finally got to San Francisco, California. Where they broke up on stage. Right. So Texas before California. <laughs> um, uh, well, and Texas blew up the Sex Pistols legend and California ended it. Right. there. Oh, I like that. Stern Feathers. Uh, another quick note I just thought I'd mention, the old skateboarder magazines and all stuff we talked about uh, is noted as a surfer publication. So still that tie-in with surfing yeah. still in this time frame. So um, as we finally wind it down, seriously, just a couple more things and then we'll get through with it. Uh, we've always been trying to talk about it a little in memoriam. And uh, we mentioned Tom Thornhill before, but we think we're going to save that for a much bigger mention um, because he's very important. But I did mention previously a gentleman named Steve Gaber. Uh, he was termed as the Purple Shredder. Now, Steve wasn't a Texan, and like a lot of our friends and people who love Texas, it's not necessarily that you were born but how fast you got there. And that's super important. And Steve was 82 or 83 when he passed away at Pfluger, after a session at Pflugerville Skate Park a couple of years ago. A few You're years telling ago. me he was skateboarding yes. at 82 years old. Yes. And he Good would grief. be coming out to Lizard Ditch or other ditches. And I have a... a cute little story that when I met him, I was going through a Craigslist ad for people selling old skateboards and stuff. And so I contacted him and went to his house and I went to his house and it's a, you know, I've got a picture of him. He's about my height, short, old, cute, old man. And we go out and he starts telling me stuff. And then all of a sudden he goes here and he moves me back and he starts doing kick 
Tic Tacs and 360s in his garage to show off for me. Nice. And I was like, hook, this dude's got history and all that stuff. And then he came to to post some videos and some other things. But, uh, you know, he's originally from Arkansas, lived in Chicago, was in Hawaii. But the cool thing is that he finally got to Texas. But why I mention him is because... He was very influential on the early days of me thinking about trying to be nostalgic about Texas. And even though it was only a few years ago, he's still important. A lot of the old old skater guys, Kenny Payton and so forth, know him as the Purple Shredder. And there's footage of him in Hawaii at age 12 with him and his brother skating barefoot down the hills in Lanai or I don't know, somewhere in Hawaii. And it's super good footage. I'll try to post it. He also has a video called Don't Let the Devil Skate. And it's him and his son skating probably 10 or 15 years ago. Um, and he loved ditches and skating and all of that kind of stuff. And he's li- he lived in Texas for the remaining years. And I just thought it was cool and important. And I keep in touch with his brother. And I went to a ceremony a few years ago. And we want to give love and shout out to people who aren't going to get it. And if you enjoy this history and enjoy the nostalgia of it and respect the elders and the people that came before us, then he's somebody who had influence on us. If you're out in a ditch and a dude walks out and he's an obviously old dude, no older than we are, he's 80 something and he's out there and he's pushing around and he's not faulting, dropping in or anything, just like Jimmy Gonzalez, same thing, who's in the 70s. It's just super inspiring and rad. And there are very few of us that ever imagined we'd even be on a board. At all. Right. At that age. And I hope to follow that lead. Yeah, me too. As long as I can. So um, so that's our in memoriam for today. And uh, I guess we're going to have to tie this in a knot. And really, Carjack, we're going to have to go into, and maybe this will go into episode five or six. I think the next one will be an interview. But we'll talk about... Uh, this contest that we thought we were going to get to on this. Um, and that's that contest in San Antonio where a bunch of pros were flown out to judge the contest. The Alvas and Brad Bowman's and Ray Bones Rodriguez and, and Steve, Olson. Steve Olson and all that. And there was over 200 skaters there at that competition. And the one that Jimmy mentioned that they had to skate to be able to skate that day. And it goes on through this article and, and just a little snippet that's part of it is one of the part of the articles the Saturday night the article says, well, things didn't go necessarily as well as they did. Um, A lot of people treated with respect, but there was a certain group of unnamed skaters that were messing shit up and (laughs) causing trouble and And all that. And this would be the pros they brought in from out of state. And we went through the list and there may be a couple of names that were mentioned that we're like, that's probably the guy. So we'll do a more digging. But what were a couple of those names, maybe? Some of the names of the that might be the, the troublemakers. Oh, well, I mean, if you're going to give me a list of pro skaters that came out from the West Coast in 1978, 79, Stacey Peralta, Ray Bones, Rodriguez, probably not the troublemakers. You're going to tell me that there's a list that also includes Dave Steve, Hackett, Dave Hackett Steve, Steve, Olson. Steve Olson, Steve Alba, those are the troublemakers. Yeah, those were probably the troublemakers from California. So they kind of put a little uh, mention in the article about that. And everybody else was pleasant and ran the re- events relatively respectively. And then there's a lot of cool names and mentions, um, including uh, second and third place, place and 13 to 15 years old in the pipe was Johnny Gibson and then Jeff Phillips in second and third. And in the six to nine category... 
David Donaldson. Baby David Donaldson, not even 10 years old, mentioned. <laughs> We'd love to see that. So we'll get to that as we go into the next episode. And so as we're still kind of finishing up the 70s, um, the death, the second death of skateboarding is kind of where we're getting to. And uh, there's a term that I, I keep mentioning that I had to look up, and it's called inherent vice. Now, there's a movie called Inherent Vice. I don't know if it has anything to do with it, but it's inherent fault. The tendency in an object or material to deteriorize or self-destruct because of its intrinsic characteristics, weak construction, quality materials within the object. And there is a huge law that changed years later that got us to be able to build skate parks, but that was the issue. So the death of skate parks, as you previously mentioned, was because of the greed of upcoming in the 70s into the 80s of suing people and yeah, liability personal injury and insurance and personal injury insurance and 1-800 numbers on TV. That's a lot of what led to it. Yes, totally. That's uh, it's the downfall of society. Selfishness of people trying to make money off of something that we love and trying to sue. And there's kind of an underwritten rule now. If I went over to your house and I rode in your ramp and I hurt myself, I wouldn't turn around two days later and you get a notice in the mail that I'm suing you. It just doesn't, that shit no, doesn't happen. That's not the way it's supposed to go, but that is what happened for a little while there. And I think when we saw the fall of the skate parks going, that money and everything that was flowed into those parks, what they thought they were getting, started to turn to money into liability and people getting greedy for their kids getting hurt or the park wasn't built right or you can't skate here because it's going to, you know, it's going to cause us to sue the building or whatever. I didn't know this was dangerous. I didn't know this was dangerous. What a bunch of crud. So, oh boy. Uh, my stopwatch is 100, uh, 124, but I know it's been longer than that. Yeah, we should wrap so this up. I guess we're going to wrap this up and we're going to move into, I don't know if the next episode will be, um, uh, if it'll be a interview, which it probably will. And then we'll script up something else for going more into the late 70s as we head into 80. And once again, we'd like to thank you for listening to Won't Shut Up and Skate. Don't forget to throw us some bones if you like at our Won't Shut Up at Won't Shut Up and Skate Venmo and then our Won't Shut Up and Skate at gmail.com to contact us. Carjack. Hey, Chip. Yes, Carjack. How many skateboarders does it take to change a light bulb? I don't know, Carjack. How many skateboarders does it take to change a light bulb? Ten. One to change the light bulb, nine others to talk about how much better the old light bulb used to be, man. Back in the day, <laughs> you weren't even there. <laughs> and there you have it, folks. Thanks a lot. We appreciate you. Now go out and grind a curb, make a scene. What is it, Carjack? Do a bird. Learn some inverts, dang it. Yeah. The future's up to you.